Welcome back to From the Bridge. I'm your captain, Rick Jones, and I'm sorry we missed last week as I was incapacitated with COVID-19. Yes, I was one of those guys who felt very overconfident with having the vaccine and feeling invincible, and man, was I wrong. It knocked me out for a loop, and uh, but the good news is that I'm better, and the better news today is that we're pleased to invite back our pal Rick Chris for part two of our discussions on the state of college athletics. We, of course, will have another opinion from the soapbox and yet another fun place to eat on the road with Rick. So far in our series on the seven C's of pitching and winning new business, we've discussed the first four essential steps. Number one, competencies. Number two, context. Number three, challenge. And number four, creative. Today's fifth C is collaboration. See, the truth is agencies cannot do it alone or go it alone. The best sponsorship and marketing programs are collaborations. Earlier this season, when we had Pam Hollander on as our guest, she shared how she used five different agencies working together to build value for Allstate. But the key to this was her leadership. Collaboration between the client and the agency is absolutely essential. Now, collaboration is easier when you win the business, but remember, we're still in the process of pitching and hopefully winning the business. We recently pitched a piece of business that unfortunately we did not win, but it was not because we did not follow our system. Ultimately, we are still a small regional company, and this prospect obviously wanted a global shop with significant assets around the world. But the collaborative process between our team and their team throughout the pitching process was simply outstanding. We had two conference calls with their team, were able to submit questions to them via email throughout the process, and established an early collaborative approach. Agency-client relationships are marriages, so you have to be able to collaborate in order to build and execute a successful program. In the pitch stage, the questions you ask set the stage for how the client will perceive your expertise, your understanding of their specific issues, and your ease of working together. Of course, after you've won the business, then collaboration becomes the most essential element of a great sponsorship. I've talked to you in the past about our program with MasterCard, one of the great programs when they were the sponsor of the World Cup. The key to the whole process, though, was the collaboration. Early on, we met with a group of about six people at MasterCard. Two years later, at the time of the World Cup, we were meeting with about 80 people at the same time. That's how large that group had grown because you needed a collaborative effort across multi-disciplines, across multi-product lines, and across the world because you had MasterCard as a global uh, payment systems. Uh, you had people from Europe, uh, Middle East, Africa, uh, Latin America, Asia Pacific, Canada, Mexico, other places. 
Collaboration is a great thing, and it's an essential thing. Next week, we'll be back with another C. It's time to welcome back my special guest, Rick Chris, for round two of our discussion on college sports. I'm glad to bring my good friend Rick Chris back for part two of From the Bridge. Rick, welcome back. Thanks so much, Rick. Great to be with you. Hey, when we left off last week, we were talking about the conference expansion potentially or the playoff expansion in college football. And you were making a good point about how the bowl system is so valuable to um, to all schools, the ability to play. Um, and yet we were talking a little bit about, you know, do we want to give Cinderella any opportunity to play, you know, for a college football championship? One of the one of my big concerns right now is that the, the powerful are just getting more powerful. Um, you know, I live in a, I live in South Carolina, and and you know, you know, Beamer's got to fix that program, knowing that Texas and Oklahoma are coming too. Um, I worry about the gap within the conference. You know, you see what Clemson has done. There's such a gap in the ACC. Um, is there going to be, because of transfer portal and NIL, are, are the Giants just going to get bigger and bigger and, and we're leaving everybody behind? Um, you, you know, I, I, I told this story to somebody the other day. Dan Mullen finds a kid nobody had ever heard of named Dak Prescott, and right. he has a great sophomore year at, at Mississippi State. Right. Would some other power school say, Dak, you're – you're not going to win a national championship here, transfer. Uh, and, oh, by the way, our car dealership dealer will pay you a million dollars to transfer. I mean, I'm right. really worried about right. about that. Talk a little bit about how we're going to make the sport of college football more competitive. I think 20 of the last 28 playoff uh, teams have been the same teams. Yeah. That's, yeah, a, that's a problem. Yeah. it's It's very top-heavy right now. And, you know, probably history would, would, would show that there's always been, you know, uh, a certain level of top heaviness. So, you know, I've tried to understand is the system amplifying that more or, or truly is it more top heavy and fewer and fewer able to compete at an elite level and, you know, and certainly have a snapshot of it, not just administratively, but through the lens of my younger brother, um, who's, you know, out of, I think a great program that does so many things really well. Uh, and yet fans being fans and, you know, being a competitive deal, haven't, you know, taken that, last step into that elite tier at Wisconsin. So um, there's no question, Rick, that that's, it's as turbulent a time right now as I think we've ever had. And that's not to say that there haven't been major issues before, but to me what's distinctive about today is the confluence of these issues and really where leadership, where decisions are going to be made because the places where historically they've, you know, 
uh, where you've gone for outcomes, conferences, and the NCAA, that's not where it's at anymore. You know, it's in the courts and it's in the federal and state legislature. And so that presents, I think, um, a dramatically different environment. Uh, the, for sure, the commercial scale, the enterprise uh, amplifies all this. And the ability to create some type of competitive framework that um, affords a broader balance I think is um, very much in question right now. Yeah, I do too. You know, I, uh, you know, I mentioned in our last show that I, I, I like you know, sustained excellence. I mean, I like that as a way, but at the same time, you know, your brother at Wisconsin, you know, I want Wisconsin to feel, and the kids that come to Wisconsin to feel that we got a shot at mm-hmm. winning the Big Ten mm-hmm. every year, mm-hmm. and we got a shot at playing, in, 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 you know, in, in the playoffs or, mm-hmm. or, or you know, and I just worry right now, you know, in the NFL, if you finish first, you get the last draft pick. In college, if you finish first, you, you get the first 10 draft picks. You get the I'm, first I'm, 10. Exactly. I, mean, it's just, I mean, it's, you know, and, and kids are looking to say, how do I get to the show? How do I showcase right. my talents? How do I do this? I, I, I'm really worried about the ecosystem right now. and But I also worry about a mentality of if you're not first, it's right. valueless. Right. In the mind of the fan. Right. I mean, you think about the job your brother's done at Wisconsin, which is I think it's phenomenal. He's been a great coach everywhere he's been. You know, at some point does somebody say, yeah. Well, he can't beat Ohio State, so he shouldn't yep. keep his job. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. we've lost our minds a little bit, I think. Yeah, I think you know, some of that um you sort of expect some of that just people being people, fans being fans, where where it where it ratchets up is when that's the chair, your trustees, when that's your university president. And, you know, I mean, you've lived it five years to me, you know, has become three and probably two um, in terms of sort of what your, um, what your lifespan is as a head coach. And, you know, the long-term deals are just changing the nature of your buyout. And so I think that does play into it, the transfer portal. You know, it hasn't always been dollar for dollar um, in terms of what you spend equaling wins. But, uh, you know, how much of a (laughs) – Delaney used to tell me, when the big 10 would play the mag, it's not a fair fight, you know, and you'd have your moments and you have a special team, but you know, you want a fair fight going in. And um, so I think, I think what you'll see Rick is each sport eco will, will become increasingly sports specific uh, because we've got to account in a much deeper way than we do now for the professional route that should be available uh, for kids when they're good enough and when they're ready. And that's a individual judgment, right? Um, so <laughs> I see, I see things getting more sports specific and for sure less regulated. And that will be a big change for administrators. Um, where the fans land on it, you know, remains to be seen, 
there actually is a viable pro route right now in every sport other than football. And, and, and yet you've, you've, if you can get football and, you know, men's basketball, right. In terms of the pro route, then you, you can't get the collegiate model, right. Well, it's interesting. I, I, I remember a few years ago, Chris Plonsky at Texas and I were talking, mm-hmm. and she said she said to me that year, she said, Rick, I got one football player going to go in the first round. I got one basketball player going to be drafted, and I got two baseball players that are going to go in the first round. I'm letting four athletes dictate everything we do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean it's not even the tail of the dog. It's a hair on the tail right. of the dog. Right. And that's where I think we're losing sight. I mean, you know, the opportunities that a Mac school provides for a young person mm-hmm. to get a free education, to become a man, to, to, to make contacts that are going to stay with you for the rest of your life, suddenly all that's just kind of doesn't seem to matter anymore. We've just kind of this, this, this idea of you've got to be at the top of the pinnacle and that's the only place to be. I think it's just dangerous. Um, and, and I, I really worry about that. And I worry about our leadership. You know, I've, I've said this quote a dozen times on this program, but there's an old Greek saying that the wise man plants trees from which he'll never enjoy the shade. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know that there's a lot of tree planting going on mm-hmm. right now in college athletics. What, what, what do you think? Let's start with something positive. What's right about college sports right now? Uh, providing a ton of opportunities. Uh, and I think I view it, Rick, in three sort of uh, stanzas, if you will, uh, in terms of experience from a young person's perspective. And the first is before you get to college and sort of the recruiting and the single sport focus and we're probably, as a country, we're probably like at a C, C minus in terms of that environment. You know, once you get to campus, I think the experience is fantastic. And I think you'll have people say the experience is fantastic, whether it's, you know, the facilities, the support, the, um, uh, the opportunities across the board, including educational opportunities. And then once your eligibility is done, you know, so I'd give that an A. And then once your eligibility is done, I don't think we've done enough. We, we, you know, it hasn't been as long of a handshake as it needs to be. So what's right about it is it's still a dream for so many. It changes lives. These are world-class institutions. And, um, and, uh, and for, uh, I think, the, the strong majority that participate in, in college athletics, it's, it's a distinguishing part of their life in a positive way. You know, I heard Jim Phillips speak the other day. Uh, he, he mentioned that we might be looking at, you know, can we provide health insurance for student-athletes mm-hmm. post-graduate? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In other words, can we do, like you said, a little bit of a more of a long tail to make yep. sure that what we're doing is really helping? If we're going to say we change lives and we're about education, can we walk that talk? You got to be, you got to yeah. be held accountable on it, and and that's where administratively we have delegated so much to coaches, and and the, like ecosystems, you just can't isolate one factor, right? 
So the churn amongst coaches, you know, it's rare now, you know, certainly in probably football, men's, maybe women's basketball, but certainly football, men's basketball, it's rare for someone to have the same coach their entire collegiate career. And, and that's, you know, that's a big change in an ecosystem. So where's that point of connectivity? Like who, who is the institution to that young person? And, and does that, does that relationship sustain beyond your eligibility? And so we've got to do a much better job, whether it's degree completion, whether it's career networking, whether it's, um, as you mentioned, uh, health and wellness issues, there's a lot more that can be done and needs to be done. And not all of it is, is just throwing money at something. Like there needs to be an intentionality there that I think, I think many places have it. You know, I've been lucky to work with, I have high regard for, for many of the ADs out there right now. And it's a very difficult, very difficult job. Um, and, and I know a lot of places that are, are laser focused on doing right by the young people that are coming to their place. Um, so there, I think there are reasons for optimism, but the macro is off right now. And it's going to be, it's going to be in question until, honestly, until I think Congress weighs in or some type of, probably some type of collectively bargained relationship develops with student athletes. Now, I think employer-employee is a line that universities won't cross, but these lawsuits are not going to stop, and the next one in the pipeline goes straight to the media dollars, and that will be as seismic a shift as you could ever imagine in terms of the financing of intercollegiate athletics right now. Well, uh, you know, we as an agency here really focus on what I call the bank, <laughs> which is the fan. Mm-hmm. And 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 mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people don't pay attention to the fan. Mm-hmm. I had a chance to go up to your brother's school to Wisconsin last year, and they laid out their five pillars of excellence, what we call the tent poles of their athletic department, and they were all great, but all five were about student athletes. Mm-hmm. And I raised my hand and said, no offense, what are you doing about mm-hmm. your fan? Because, mm-hmm. you, you know, your fan watches TV. Mm-hmm. That's where your TV rights comes from. Your fan buys mm-hmm. tickets. They make donations. They buy mm-hmm. licensed merchandise. They do all this kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried right now. If you look at the ecosystem that still is very, very top-heavy, meaning baby boomer support, right. my generation right. supporting intercollegiate athletics, I'm seeing some chinks in the armor. I've heard right. some of my friends say, you know, if you're going to pay players, it's just like the NFL. I, I just, right. I'm not, not going to come back. I'm not, right. there's, I'm worried about unintended consequences with fans. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we're paying enough attention uh, uh, to that. Um, again, you know, again, egos hurt feelings. Um, Hey, I understand why Texas A&M wanted to get out of Texas's shadow and be in the Southeastern Conference. But, you know, the fan bases want them to play each other. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kansas mm-hmm. and Missouri should play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. E- even Maryland, the great Maryland, Duke, Maryland, mm-hmm. North Carolina, Maryland, NC State games. Mm-hmm. Maryland, even in the Big Ten, in my opinion, needs to play some ACC schools mm-hmm. in basketball because that's what fans want, and we've just kind of yep. forgotten that. Right. Um, and I'm I'm really worried about that right now. Yeah, I, I think add that into the turbulence, and um, and and yet we've got really bright people out there, and and your group among them in terms of um, how you know, how fans, how consumers uh, interact with college sports, and you know whether it's uh, you know how you consume television. Or how you interact with so so. There's probably going to be some good things that come out of the NIL, you know, in terms of personalizing some of this. Um, and I think it's going to take. You just can't view these things in a vacuum. No, right? I agree and, with that. Yeah, and yep. and so, who has the ability to sort of synthesize it all and then try to build some consensus? You know, probably. And I'm trying to, you know, I think it was starting to change, you know, as I finished up at the Mac the last 12 years, I've had a sports law practice, but still very connected in the, in the college sports space that, um, you know, that, the, that the dynamics were really shifting. And, and I think what the biggest shift has been an inability to articulate really what college sports, how it's defined and just saying it's not professional isn't enough anymore. You've got to positively articulate what you stand for. And that's where I think things like um, the G league and uh, what's the other uh, growing uh, basketball group uh, overtime elite maybe, or, um, you know, that where high school kids are signing. Yep, yep. I think that's all fine for college sports, you know, because if it doesn't fit for someone, don't go through the charade of yeah, it. We like, try that's to force the ultimate yeah, hypocrisy. Exactly. I agree. I agree. We got kids that show up in basketball and go to class first semester and never go back to class again. Yeah, and, if we're, it, yeah. and then, yeah. you know, pox on all our houses if, yeah. if that's the case and it's wink, yeah. wink, nod, nod. And, you know, if you really have zero interest and on the college side, if you can't articulate the value of what, of what you're offering, like shame on us all. Well, let's shift gears. We've talked a lot about football. I want to talk about college basketball a, a little bit. A couple of things come to mind. You know, you mentioned the fact of the short leash for coaches now. Can you imagine if Dean Smith and Mike Krzyzewski were coaching today, they would not have lasted. I mean, they would have gotten fired after their third year. Yeah, uh, you, you got to look at a Tom Butters that yep. saw something in Mike Krzyzewski and said, this is going to work out. You, you had mm-hmm. Dean Smith burned in effigy mm-hmm. after losing at Wake Forest, and, and, and yet those are two of the giants of college basketball that – tragically <laughs> may yeah. not have been coaching. Um, right. I, I, again, this, this idea of you can turn it around overnight. I, I think that's, that's a myth. Um, mm-hmm. I think it just takes time in the marketplace to, you know, would, would Bill Snyder have lasted at K state? Right. Um, right. 
I mean, there's there's just great examples of that. Um, do we do we need to give coaches? And I'll say this before you answer the question. The other thing I see is there's the complaint all the time about the lack of black coaches having, you know, opportunities. And and what I say is the sad thing is that my black coaching friends have to take bad jobs. Right. They don't right. get offered good jobs. They get offered right. bad jobs. And right. you know what? A bad job's a bad job. Right. Uh, you know, Jesus might not be able to win at some places. Uh, and 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 I worry about that. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I just worry about the coaching ecosystem right now and the ability to give guys and gals enough time. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think the the churn in all aspects of the industry and the, the transfer portals, the immediate um, sort of manifestation of the ethos that you're talking about, Rick, so um, uh, how does we thought at the time that having presidents in control, Gene Corgan had a really good statement. He said, you know, there's times where you just got to let some of the steam out of, out of the engine. And 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 we haven't done that. And in fact, um, you know, sort of this notion that annual double digit growth is somehow normal and sustainable is nuts. And, and I would say, you know, being from a family of coaches, you know, speaking, I guess, for my brothers a little bit, I think they'd trade dollars for some level of sanity as it relates to job security. And, you know, and it's not tenure and performance does matter but, um, but I mean, you're going to have people, you know, I mean, you, you see, you don't get a first down and all of a sudden, like the world's ending. So trying to have like just healthier perspectives on all of it without being naive, um, would, would benefit everyone. I do think, um, in terms of opportunities, you know, part of it's, you know, part of it, you're, hundred percent right on where those opportunities are coming. So part of it's how do you create more good jobs, right? <laughs> more places that you can compete and that success is more, you know, more broadly defined. It's not zero sum. Uh, and to really, and if your student athletes are your focus, you know, that should factor in for sure, I think, more than it does right now. So I don't know if, you know, the money plays into it in a, in a material way, but there's an overall um, dynamic that you reference that it's going to take, um, it's going to take leadership and sort of a, a sustained voice to get some traction on that culturally. Yeah, I remember in 96 uh, at the Olympic Games in Atlanta, Nike ran an ad campaign that said, you don't win silver, you lose gold. Yeah, yeah. And that's, looking back, yeah. uh, yeah. we've set a bar that I just think is non-sustainable, and I think it's bad for the yeah. ecosystem. One of, my, one of my favorite stories is Danny Murtaugh was the, manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates yeah. back in the early 1960s. And he, he had a quote. He said, of course, I'd like to guy, have a guy who hits a home run every time he's at the plate. And 
strikes out every batter he faces and is always thinking three innings ahead. But the hardest thing to do is get him to put his beer down long enough to come out of the stands and do it. <laughs> I had not heard that. That's yeah, isn't good. that great? I mean, that's, I mean that's, and that's kind of where we are. I need that guy that's that calls good. in on Monday morning to put his beer down and come out of the stands and throw four touchdown passes. I yeah, mean, we maybe just, we yeah. are. Maybe we are. I mean, part of me thinks, like, we only hear the extremes. And worse, we react to the extreme. I think that's you know? really wise. I think you're. So, I agree with that. Politics, culture, yeah. sport, extremes are dominating the conversation. You're right. But the middle's got to find a voice. You know, you just can't. Absolutely. You know, the silent majority isn't going to work, and and especially when the when the extremes are influencing decision makers. I do think, you know, and again, I've been thinking and, you know, fortunate to be working with people that care about these issues. And, you know, in my position now, um, you know, I'm privileged to, to work with folks, but other people are the ones that are on the line for their decisions. And so um, in working with the, the, the place where we really haven't, gotten the pressure point on presidents, Rick, are their trustees. And there there hasn't been, in my mind, a real sophisticated level of discussion and understanding at a trustee level. And, and the dynamic between presidents and their trustees and where higher ed is and sort of a private sector meets ivory tower world um, plays out a lot in these high profile athletic situations. No, there's no question. In some cases, uh, there's only one vote and it's the guy that writes the biggest check and and that person may be determining it. And, and, you know, I remember talking to Barry Alvarez one day, and you know he was talking about we 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 got to quit paying coaches not to coach. I mean, yeah. I mean he's got yeah. a lot of these these yeah. contracts where yeah. you know Willie Taggart leaves Florida State with eighteen yeah. million dollars, and I understand right. one booster paid wrote the check. Yeah. Um, I mean it's it's a little bit crazy right now, but I'm agreeing with you. There are people, there are really smart people in the ecosystem right now trying to figure out how to solve problems and how to play Mm -hmm. together. And I think we're going to need to get, you know, everyone and everyone's not going to be on the same page of every book, (laughs) but, but we got to be on the same page about the things that matter. Um, and I'm hopeful that, that this next generation of leader is going to be able to do that, uh, in intercollegiate athletics. I mean, you mentioned earlier, the, t- the toughest job in America right now may be to be an AD. Right? If you really want to be more than a fundraiser, it is. Correct. I and mean, uh, it, yeah. And and a lot of times, you know, you're not incentivized in the appropriate way. You know, Jay, Jay Billis, who I have regard for a lot, you know, he used the word reckoning. Like, this is a time of reckoning. The question is getting called. And it's getting called in the courts and it's getting called in federal and state legislatures. And so I do think that's where that's where the action is going to be, Rick. And and for those that are under the tent right now, 
to try to find um, enough consensus to be able to articulate a positive vision of a collegiate model if that's what the end game is. Now, the end game in the end, you know, we're the only country, right, that's still trying to, to, trying to marry higher ed and elite competition, athletics competition, and maybe it all moves into a club environment or a professional environment. Maybe the universities, certain universities license their name and marks, but I think, I think we'd lose a lot of people would be hurt by that. I agree, and I, I think there's something unique about the fabric of intercollegiate athletics in our society. A few weeks back, we opened our ESPN Events tailgate tour at the MEAC SWAC Challenge, oh, yeah. Alcorn yeah. State in North Carolina Central. And, you know, I can't tell you, Rick, how joyful. College game day. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it, yeah it was joyful, and it was joyful for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's been a tough year in race relations right. in America. It's been a tough year in my hometown of Atlanta. Right. And, and yet this was such a healing day. I mean, this right. was a day of celebrating historically black universities that came out of the Civil War to educate, you know, freed slaves. Yeah. And, yeah. and and the cultural fabric and the connectivity of those schools is unlike anything I've seen anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just really, and so we can, we can't discount that. We can't discount how college sports brings yeah. people together. Yeah. When I'm yeah. sitting at a game, I don't know if I'm sitting next to a Democrat or Republican, or if the guy's <laughs> gay or straight, or I mean, I don't know how much money he makes. I don't care. You know, you don't care. And so, in, in an age where we've become so divided. College sports still brings us together mm-hmm. uniquely unlike anything that mm-hmm. I've ever seen. And, I, I, you know, again, I think it's it beholds us that are in the waning years of our career, <laughs> you know, to make sure we leave it to the next generation in good shape. I, I, I really believe that. And I know you're a part of that, and, and I know our our team here at Fish Bait is mm-hmm. trying to be a part of that. And I know mm-hmm. the – the ADs and the commissioners and the media people that we work with all feel mm-hmm. the same way. But mm-hmm. I, hopefully it's going to continue to to grow, continue to prosper, and we're going to continue to have, you know, a lot of joy and a lot of good times in college athletics. Yeah, really well said, Rick. I think the next, you know, pick your time horizon, the next three to five years are critical, critical. I agree. And hopefully uh, – Folks out there listening will be part of the solution and not yeah. might be part of the problem. Uh, you know, yeah. you, you, you mentioned about the extremes dictating everything, and I think that's one of the reasons we overreact sometimes mm-hmm. to certain things rather than staying the course. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody asked me politically what I was the other day, and I said I was, a Repub- I was an Eisenhower Republican, and they said, well, what's that? I said, in 1952, both parties tried to nominate him. <laughs> that's, that's how close we were. You know, I'm a purple person. You know, I'm yeah. probably a social liberal and a fiscal conservative. Right. And we don't – so the middle in college athletics, let's go back to what you said earlier, the middle needs to get a voice. Yeah. And we need to continue to do that. Listen, yeah. I'm going to let you go. I appreciate you being with us, not once, but twice. Hey, uh, really enjoyable and um, and great uh, for all the, the folks that are participating. Wish everyone success in 
and where they touch all this and to do it positively. Appreciate it. Thanks, pal, for being with us. Let's jump back up on the old soapbox today with a view on what collaboration isn't. It isn't manipulation. It's not selling in your idea. It's not getting your way all the time. Collaboration is a team sport. We take family vacations. My daughter lives in England, so we rent a house in some cool European location. The key to a great family vacation? Collaboration. We have the old folks, namely Charlotte and me. Sometimes we invite a friend or friends our age to come along. I'm usually paying the bills, so I don't so I like to make sure I get to do some of the things I want to do, like eating in great restaurants, finding a small winery for sampling, and that perfect local market to find fresh ingredients for the meals I'll prepare. But the trip is really about our kids and our grandkids. We do extensive research about things to see and do. We ask the kids what they want to do, what they want the grandkids to do. We plan to give parents some private time so we keep the grandkids. Now, because of COVID, we haven't seen our daughter and our son-in-law and our two grandboys in quite a while. But we'll be getting a house later this month in Cornwall in the UK. Next May, we'll have a house in Brittany, in France, and next August, we're getting a house in Italy in Umbria. In order to maximize our fun and fellowship, we will collaborate each and every step of the way. So how do you know? Well, there's an old saying that God gave you two eyes and two ears, but one mouth. Best way to collaborate? Ask questions. Look around. So today's question is this. How's your eyes and ears percentages compared to your mouth? And that's the view from the soapbox. It's time to get back on the road with Rick. I hate to admit it, but I've really missed New York City. I used to make regular trips to the Big Apple, but I've not been back there since late 2019. And I miss some of the great NYC restaurants. When we go, we usually stay at the Hampton Inn. You know, I'm a cheap date when it comes to hotels. We stay at the Hampton Inn on 8th Avenue near the Theater District. One of our favorite restaurants within walking distance is Victor's Cuban Cafe. It's upscale white tablecloth Cuban food. You start with ceviche both the Gulf Red Snapper or the Atlantic Salmon Ceviche. Then we go into great entrees, like a chicken dish, Arroz con pola with chicken and saffron bomber rice casserole. Or pork, nothing better than lechon asado, roast pig and citrus and garlic, or for my beef lovers, the very best ropavia. Angus beef skirt steak with garlic, tomatoes, onion, and pepper sauce. Of course, they have great black beans and rice and Cuban sandwiches. Grab a huge pitcher of sangria, and you're ready to go. Speaking of ready to go, I'm ready to go to Victor's in New York City on the road with Rick. That's it for today. Thanks to Rick Chris for two great weeks of stories and insights. 
I hope you'll join us again next week from the bridge.